0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the Wednesday Night Wars edition of the fastest growing wrestling podcast on the planet. I'm going to keep saying it and I'm going to keep believing it. Before we get to everything that went down Wednesday night on NXT and AEW, a reminder to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast and don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts and drop that 5 star rating along with a written review. Every single rating and review matters. We appreciate you taking the time out to do that and telling your friends to listen to the podcast. Word of mouth is the fastest way to grow a new show so far, so good. Okay, enough begging from the Silver King. We're going to roll on with our Wednesday Night Wars review, and I'm going to do this one instant analysis style all by my lonesome today. As I told you guys earlier in the week, we have an ultimate. WrestleMania 36 preview coming out Thursday. It is nearly a two-hour show, so I wanted to make sure that we did cover NXT and AEW, but at the same time, I didn't want to give you guys another hour of audio to listen to. On top of the WrestleMania preview, not to mention, obviously, Sunday night, immediately after WrestleMania 36 goes off the air, the second night, once that night is over, instant analysis, getting over style. For those of you that have followed me from other audio podcast, you know exactly what that means. So let's start in order on Wednesday that I watched the shows. And that means beginning with NXT. We had Velveteen Dream and Bobby Fish open the show in a match that, you know, all things considered was relatively boring. You know, it seems like the Dream is going to have to go through every member of Undisputed Era in order to get to Adam Cole, except they've never actually stated that matter-of-factly, like that is the goal. So, you know, Dream, to me, uh, I've seen these matches ever since he's come back, and maybe it's a little bit of ring rust, possibly, but things seem a little rough with him. Uh, Even the promos, things aren't as smooth as I would like him to be to see him vaulted into this main event picture and presumably getting a title match with Adam Cole over the next few weeks on NXT television. I'm not saying he's not ready to be NXT champion, It just seems like a year ago, he was in a better position for that to happen than he is now. Uh, I did love the polish that NXT has given to Dexter Loomis, the former Samuel Shaw from TNA. He joined WWE one year ago last month. He debuted on NXT TV last July. And, you know, there really wasn't much to him at that time, but the graphics on screen were great. The music was Super creepy and eerie. I really liked his cold stare and his overall look. He's a huge guy with tattoos and bright blonde hair. It's just a really cool look. And I think Dexter Loomis has a high ceiling in NXT, at least. I don't so much know about Raw or SmackDown, but so far, so good uh, with that talent. The women's gauntlet match, you know, it was insanely predictable. Uh once you saw Shotzi Blackheart get a submission right off the bat. You kind of knew she was gonna go through everyone until she faced Dakota Kai. At the end, it's great to see Shotzi continue to get featured on NXT immediately after joining WWE. They wasted no time in in putting her front and center. And the booking was ultimately right with Dakota Kai uh, taking that last spot in the NXT women's number one contendership ladder match. But you really knew like once Shotzi opened the match, how that was going to go. So, you know, I, would, I could go for a little bit less predictable booking uh, from NXT. Usually that's not an issue from NXT. And uh, during that match, you kind of knew every single thing that was going to happen all the way through the very end. Uh, Kushida and Jokin wild they had a hell of a match. They really put on an entertaining bout. It was the best match maybe on the show. And, and I'll tell you why that's the case in a minute. Uh, Wilde, though, f- is formerly uh, known as DJZ on the independents. I just hate the gimmick. I know that's what he's about, like the techno stuff and and the DJ stuff. And and I guess there's a place for it in wrestling, but it's just, I'm just not into it at all. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily impressed me from a character standpoint since he's joined WWE, and I don't know that he necessarily will. But what I loved after the match is that they are continuing this storyline that a couple weeks ago, Raul Mendoza lost to Kushida, I believe. Uh, and then got kidnapped by a number of guys in luchador masks in the nxt parking lot and the same thing happened wednesday night with wild uh, you know i do think it does speak to you know in kayfabe a little bit nxt and, and william regal have some major problems with security like in the backstage area and parking lot area that you really need to figure out but i am definitely intrigued by who these guys in luchador masks are what they're doing with wild and mendoza certainly mendoza is someone who is extremely talented and has been in NXT for quite some time, but hasn't really been able to sink his teeth into anything. So I'm curious what's going to happen if they're putting some type of faction together here, or uh, maybe they're going to change all their gimmicks. I don't necessarily know what they're going to do, but I'm intrigued enough to kind of want to see where it goes. Maybe it does have something to do with Killer Cross. That would be interesting. I just don't know necessarily whether those guys fit with Killer Cross. We did did see another vignette... um, from, you know, previewing his arrival uh, on NXT Wednesday night, it showed him a little bit more. So it is clearly him, the TikTok stuff with the clock and everything. It is for Killer Cross. Um, And I'm going to be interested to see whether he does make a debut next week on NXT, uh, somehow involved in the Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa blow off match, or if they just kind of save it maybe for the week after, or they let the match finish and then he shows up. I'm not sure, but I am curious to see what happens there. I was pretty disappointed in the main event of NXT. Um the Big Man stuff really works with Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic. Uh, and Damian Priest is very good as well. Certainly a much improved wrestler and character from Punishment Martinez in Ring of Honor. But I think all three of them working together for me in that type of match, it was too much. The match was too slow. It was way too planned out. It was it was clear that they were setting up uh, certain moves and certain moments that they wanted to have. Had that happened in front of a TakeOver crowd, it definitely would have gotten over a bit more because the fans would have sold all of the big moves. But it did kind of feel like they took what they had planned for TakeOver, toned it down 25%, and then there was no crowd, so it kind of naturally toned down another 25%. It was probably a... star match that could have been, maybe had a ceiling to be four and a half stars. And, you know, seeing what uh, Keith Lee and Dijakovic have already done together, it was definitely, quote unquote, worse than all of those prior matchups. So that was a disappointment. Again, when I'm tuning into NXT and you're presenting to me, you know, the matches that they really had, Velveteen Dream, Bobby Fish, a women's gauntlet match, including some of the the women that were in that match. And then those three big-ass dudes, Keith Lee, uh, Dijakovic, and Damian Priest, you want to talk about meat-slapping meat. Biggie would be having a field day. Um, I really expected a lot more from that main event. And, you know, again, on a takeover, maybe it's the worst match on a takeover and it's still a really good match, but it just didn't necessarily work for me on Wednesday night. And you guys have listened to me long enough to know that's not something I normally say about NXT or... Keith Lee in particular, who I am a massive fan of. Uh, Moving on to AEW. I really liked the setup wherever they ended up moving the tapings. It seems to be somewhere in Georgia, potentially Atlanta. Uh, It was nice and dark in the background. There were a couple people in the crowd. Just enough for there to be background noise, not too much, where it tried to overtake what was happening in the ring. Uh, Kenny Omega versus Trent, which opened the show. It was the match of the night on either show. It is Great to see Omega completely back in his groove as the best bout machine. Trent, I have always thought, works better as a singles performer than in Best Friends. Uh, maybe he doesn't necessarily have enough to get over as a singles performer on the mic or as a character. But just pure wrestling, uh, him and Omega just tore it down. That was number one match uh, of the night both shows. Just absolutely loved it. Uh, you know, this JK groove stuff, you know. I mean, look, guy could kick my ass real life and, you know, shoot and work. I could kick my ass, but he is boring as sin. He's done absolutely nothing to deserve an AEW title match other than annoy Moxley and and be the main person who was in the triple powerbomb with him a couple weeks ago. You know, if win-loss records and results, who you beat in AEW are supposed to matter, Hager has no business being in a title match. I mean, sure, he's, I guess, undefeated, but he's beaten... Dustin Rhodes, and I guess a couple jobbers. Like I don't even know who he's really beaten. So for him to be the number one contender for John Moxley, who just won the title, is ridiculous. Uh, Moxley was great in the pre-taped promo that they had, but Hager was painful to watch and listen to. He couldn't deliver the lines. Um, it seemed like it was scripted for him, which again, in WWE, you come to expect that. In AEW, you don't. It just... Did not hype me up for the match whatsoever. I don't think there's any chance Hager beats Moxley.
1: It's really a waste
0: of a feud for me at this point. I don't know why they're doing it. And I'm just not at all bought into it whatsoever. I do like the idea, though, of a no-holds-barred empty arena match in two weeks. Would it probably have been better for Moxley to go up against someone a bit more hardcore in that match? Potentially. Um, But I still like the concept. If you're going to have an empty arena, you might as well play it out and do an holds barred match. Uh, Speaking of things I'm fine with, uh, the concept of AEW's mid-card title being called the TNT Championship. Some people uh, thought it was terrible. Uh, A terrible name, a terrible idea. I don't get that at all. It's akin to a TV title, but it's using TNT, the network they're on. But it's not only the name of the network, it's also a type of dynamite. So it works in that case considering the show is called AEW Dynamite. That's the gimmick. That's what they're going for here. Uh, You know, I guess people are asking, what if AEW leaves TNT? I don't think you have to worry about that. They, A, just signed a new deal with TNT, and B, where else are they going to go? Like, uh, unless NBC or... And NBC wouldn't, because they have Raw with USA Network. uh, But unless, like, CBS or another major network just came to completely outbid Turner... I don't really see why AEW would leave TNT anytime soon. And if they do, they can always change the name of the title. It's not that big of a deal. So I think TNT Championship is honestly better than calling it a TV Championship. Um, should they Could they have come up with another name? Sure, you know, but WWE has Intercontinental. It has United States. It has North American. So really, what are you left with? Uh, you know, to be unique, to separate yourself. So I'm totally fine with that, 100%. What I don't like is the eight-man field for the inaugural tournament. It doesn't make any sense. MJF is undefeated and he's nowhere to be found. Why the hell is Sean Spears or Colt Cabana in there? What did they deserve? Because Colt Cabana won a couple AEW dark matches. That doesn't make any sense. Like, like, who cares about Colt Cabana? That he's in an eight-man field for a mid-card title two weeks after joining the organization. Ridiculous to me. Uh, I, I did think the idea of numbering the dark order members... Uh, number eight and nine for a match was really smart. I, I, I laughed about it. Uh, you know they're going to get beat right away because they're they were more diminutive guys and they were going up against you know two real wrestlers or gimmick wrestlers at least in uh, Dustin Rhodes and uh, QT Marshall, um, who are now a tag team with Brandy managing them for some reason. And okay, whatever. Um, so I thought that was fine. I liked that they kind of got squashed there. I thought it was pretty cool that Brody Lee as the Exalted One came out and just powerbombed the loser basically through the mat. It was kind of smart and unique. But the vignette of Brody Lee as the Exalted One in like a meeting, almost giving a PowerPoint presentation and a guy yawning and Lee yelling at him, it was so eye-roll inducing. Same as last week, the stuff where they just made fun of Vince McMahon basically was the entire point. I don't care that someone takes shots at Vince, but at least have it be entertaining and good. This was not good to me. Um, The Dark Order stuff, like it's hit or miss and it's 65, 70% miss. And I don't necessarily know so far that Brody Lee is fixing it. That's as simple as I can say. Uh, Jake Roberts again delivered with another fantastic promo antagonizing Cody, talking about Brandy wearing the pants in the family, how obvious that was. So Jake's doing a great job. Lance Archer came in and he really, he faced Marco Stunt, which you know what you're going to get there, right? I guess AEW didn't want Stunt to look absolutely terrible. So rather than it be a three-second squash like it should have been, it went on like two minutes. It went on longer than Brock Lesnar, Kofi Kingston, I guess is my point. Um, but Lance Archer did murder him. He knocked out some people in the crowd. Okay, I guess that's fine. But Archer, without Jake by his side, got to be honest, it was kind of boring. Um and there really is no need whatsoever for Lance Archer to fight anybody until he fights Cody. You know he's good. Everyone that watches AEW knows what Lance Archer is capable of. And why is he even in there with Marco Stone? Like, like, who cares? Like, why would we want to see that competition? Put him in there with someone decent uh, or someone decently sized. I know that people always talk about WWE loving to do squashes with big guys as they're trying to build them. The Viking Raiders, as an example. That's a WWE thing. I don't really see a need for AEW to go down that road, especially with someone completely established like Archer is for this crowd. The Chris Jericho promo vignette, visit from Vanguard One at his palatial estate. um, It was by far, for me at least, the best moment on either show tonight. Look, you can criticize... AEW for the broken stuff that they're bringing it in, having too many WWE guys if you want, but Jericho straight up is doing some of the best work of his entire career. AEW is doing a great job filling time with segments like this and the visit to the Young Bucks house in Rancho Cucamonga, California. With WrestleMania in the books, WWE should be doing a lot more of stuff like this to fill time and advance stories if they do continue doing Raw, and SmackDown going forward. Honestly, WWE used to do this all the time back in the day. They would do tons of segments away from the ring and away from the arena and AEW between Matt Hardy, Jericho, uh, and some other things that they did. Obviously, I mentioned earlier tonight, the the promo package with Moxley and Hager. They have figured out a way to make some of this stuff work. But the Jericho Vanguard stuff is absolute gold. You know, again, cutting a promo to a drone, giving him a mini Inner Circle t-shirt, and then sicking his five tiny dogs on him, telling his wife, presumably, or, or whoever was in the house to release the hounds. Just, I mean, it's hysterical. It was great. And Jericho deserves all the credit in the world for that being so damn entertaining. Uh, regarding the main event of AEW, you know, it was a fine way, I guess, to preview the TNT Championship Tournament. But I really didn't have much of a particular opinion on it other than... Darby Allen kind of turning on Cody at the end. It felt somewhat unnecessary. I know they have a first round match next week, and you want there to be a little animosity there. But Cody's done nothing kind of but prop up Darby Allen in kayfabe since they've joined AEW uh, since AEW started. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it just kind of felt forced. It felt unnecessary. Uh, Darby could have give, given him the cold shoulder or you know flicked them off for losing or something like that. But it seemed out of character for Darby Allen. To attack Cody like that, it also now seems like everyone hates Cody in the organization in which he's executive vice president. Uh, Jake Roberts and Lance Archer have no respect for him. The inner circle's after him. Even a guy who he's aligned with in Darby Allin now doesn't like him. So unless they're going to tell a story about that, about why Cody is so hated by everyone, it just seems like you're taking your hottest baby face in the company and kind of saying this guy sucks. And, and, you know, or or his co-workers don't like him. Uh, It, to me, just... I don't know, I didn't like it very much. Overall, uh, for Wednesday night, despite me coming into it, expecting NXT to be by far the better show, especially considering its lineup, knowing we had the women's gauntlet, knowing we had the triple threat North American title match, all things were relatively equal. I thought NXT and AEW both delivered entertaining shows. Uh, certainly nothing that would prevent me from saying, hey, during this you know pandemic, during the coronavirus stuff, I'm going to stop watching. No, I was entertained. It was four hours of good wrestling television. Uh, But, you know, the Omega match and Jericho segment, they were the two highlights of the night. And because of that, you got to give AEW the critical edge once again. Um, NXT certainly comes back next week with Gargano and Ciampa uh, in a, I guess it's an empty warehouse match. It's a a venue that Triple H is not telling them uh, where it's going to be. And they're just going to meet with a ring and a referee and just beat the hell out of each other. Great. I'm excited for it. One thing that was a concern for me going into uh, this week's NXT and WWE's idea of putting NXT takeover matches on TV was the commercials. And I think you saw that during the North American Triple Threat match that there were multiple commercial breaks. And it really interrupted the flow of what we have grown to expect when something is called a takeover match. We're expecting a four-star or better match and to get it without interruptions. And the commercials really put a damper on that. So my hope is that for next week, maybe WWE and USA Network can work something out and we can get 30 uninterrupted minutes or 25 uninterrupted minutes at the end of the show with no commercials or at worst a picture in picture box. So we can see Champ and Gargano finish this rivalry outright. You know, I still don't, feel like it's necessarily the right move for WWE to put these takeover matches on TV. I get it. They want to fill time on NXT. They want to kind of move their storylines along. Uh, But this was shaping up to be another all-time takeover card. And I kind of wish we could have gotten all these matches in one place at one time. You know, I'm curious, certainly, for the women's ladder match. Curious to see if they do ultimately go with Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream, which it seems like it's obvious. Um, And for the tag team titles right now, it seems like we're a bit in limbo with Pete Dunne uh, over in England, presumably, and Matt Riddle kind of stuck in Orlando by himself dealing with this new Indian tag team faction led by Malcolm Bivens, which I thought Bivens did a really nice promo and got them over a little bit better than certainly they did last week. So I'm going to be curious to see if they continue attacking Riddle and what happens there. Uh, But that is the one man band edition of Getting Over, wrapping up the Wednesday Night Wars, NXT and AEW again. Don't forget, listen to our awesome WWE show earlier this week where we broke down the entire Go Home Raw, including some incredible promos uh, by Edge, The Undertaker, Paul Heyman, just, just absolutely fantastic stuff. We also talked about some of WWE's main storylines heading into WrestleMania 36 and Roman Reigns pulling himself from the main event against Goldberg. Certainly really big news as we head into WWE's biggest show of the year. And if you're listening to this, uh, most likely you haven't yet listened to the next show that's gonna come out, which is our ultimate WrestleMania 36 preview, a two hour show. It's a triple threat uh, edition. uh, Two guests joining me on Getting Over. We break down the entire card, all 16 matches. We answer fan questions. Absolutely great preview for WrestleMania 36. So please, once again, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop the freaking five-star review. It is all about the five. If you don't subscribe to Getting Over already, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We are legitimately everywhere. Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, there's something called CastBox, and Pocket Pass and iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you can get them, you can find Getting Over, you can subscribe, you can leave a five-star review. So you can also follow me, by the way, on Twitter, at SilversteinAdam. I tweet wrestling all the time, both on my own account and on the Getting Over cast attempt. So that's it. Enough talking from me. Don't forget to tune into the WrestleMania 36 preview. Don't forget Sunday after the big show, WrestleMania 36 instant analysis. I'm just going to leave you with three words. Bye for now.